Hey, Tim. Hey, Ash. Welcome back to Breaking the Fourth Wall. Where we engage in stimulating conversations about ways that we can promote positive change in musical theater. And we are so excited for this episode. We have two amazing friends with us in the room today. Tim, you want to introduce them? Yes, of course. And uh, I also want to preface by saying this is our first podcast episode where we are interviewing designers. And I and w- one of the things that we're really passionate about this season is having these same conversations with those that are doing the important work backstage. And so uh, I'm really excited to welcome two very, very, very special individuals. Our first individual uh, is a friend and a colleague of mine, uh, Jojo Siu. Uh, She graduated from UC Irvine with her MFA in costume design. She hails from Philadelphia and has been working as a designer in film, opera, theater, and dance for both nationally and internationally for over 10 years. She has worked in the Philadelphia Fringe Festival, the Santa Fe Opera, South Coast Rep, Fullerton College, Chapman University, uh, Backhouse Dance, OC Shakespeare Festival, Sierra Madre Playhouse, and Singapore Repertory Theater, among many others. She is a huge advocate for Asian diversity within theater and loves when diversity and design can come together on the stage to represent storytelling. She loves theater and film that is inspired by folklore and magic, a storytelling tradition that is inherent to her own Chinese heritage and history. She participated in the Kata Consortium of Asian American Theaters and Artists, is a member of USITT, and has designed for several world premieres, including The Trial of the Dan Kimati, The Madres, and Wasp. Her repertoire includes Midsummer Night's Dream, As You Like It, Othello, and Twelfth Night, Importance of Being Earnest, and Toys in the Attic, The Caucasian Chalk Circle, Evita, Spring Awakening, Eurydice, Waiting for Godot, Never the Sinner, and Blood Wedding, and many, 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 many more. She is an incredible, credible costume designer and extraordinary human, Jojo Siu. We're so happy to have you here. Hi, Tim. Thanks so much. (laughs) And our next guest is an amazing, amazing, talented human. Sarah Tim is a costume designer and cutter draper working in professional theater in Orange County. She works primarily at South Coast Repertory and Fullerton College and has twice competed in her universe fashion show at San Diego Comic-Con. Welcome, Sarah Tim. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It is a pleasure, and we are just thrilled to welcome two extraordinary extraordinarily talented designers uh, to our podcast. So we usually start with a puzzler, uh, and uh, it's a little trivia question we like to pose to all of our listeners. And we, since we have uh, two costume designers in this space, sharing the space with us, we decided to kind of center the question around costume design. So okay. here is the puzzler. Who was the first person ever to win a Tony Award for costume design? Mm. Yeah. So if you know it uh, out there, we'll circle back at the very end of this podcast and we will discover that answer together. And I just want to start off by saying the reason why we're so excited that both of you are here with us is because you also have an amazing podcast that everybody needs to check out. I know we're going to get to it at the end, but I just want to shout it out at the beginning for fellow podcasters as well. We're just glad you're here. Thanks. You, should it's we talk been great about it? To be able to cross, yeah. cross, uh, pollinate. <laughs> I know. <laughs> let's let's start off just with talking about what's your podcast? What is it about? Why do you do it? All the good things about it. Yeah. Sure. Um, well, I can give you an introduction on why we started it because I, I know part of it was obviously quarantine. Um, <laughs> we were sort of stuck in a <laughs> pandemic, you know. Um, and I know Sarah and I had been talking a little bit for a while actually about. Um, 
not necessarily even a podcast. I think I had been bringing in guest artists to my class at Fullerton. And I was kind of like, well, we've been having all these conversations about what costume designers do. And I just feel like there's not enough information out there. And most people still don't know what we do. Or there's this assumption, especially by directors, I think, um, and producers who who think they know what costumes does um, and kind of make a lot of assumptions about what costumes does and don't really understand the depth and brevity of everything that we cover and how many people are typically in our department in an actual full-size shop. Um, so I was talking about this with Sarah and she listens to way more podcasts than I do. So she can tell you a little <laughs> bit more about all of her background research when we started um, but I kind of casually sort of jokingly mentioned that we should start this podcast and that it would be fun to start one because I'd already been having these conversations with um, other colleagues and friends of mine. So then Sarah was like totally on board. So Sarah, I'll <laughs> let you talk a little bit about your experience with podcasts. Well, the backstory of that is I've always wanted to have a podcast and could never come mm -hmm. up with something that I thought was a good enough idea. So JoJo was like a costume podcast. I was like, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I listen to a lot of, um, one of my favorite shows is My Favorite Murder. Because um, I love how they, they talk about true crime and it's very serious, but it's also very conversational. It kind of feels like you're just hanging out with a couple of friends. Um, so I really liked that format where um, mm -hmm. one of them chooses like a, a case, a true crime case and explains it to the other. And I thought that like, I listened to some movie analysis podcasts too, like the Bechtel cast, um, how did this get made? So I thought we could do sort of like a conversational analysis in the style of My Favorite Murder, where one of us is basically presenting a movie, a TV show, whatever to the other. And then we talk about the costumes, what we like, what we don't like. And like as soon as we it's called the costume plot by the way um <laughs> as soon as we started recording I, we were both just like this is really fun and we think this is really actually working like we think we have something really cool here so we've been having so much fun um you know i've learned so much uh one of my favorite parts of every episode is like researching the movies and the designers who are behind all of the clothes and um i feel like i i'm gonna come away a better designer because of how much I've been learning from it. It looks like you started December of last year, the first episode mm -hmm. dropped. And yeah. then do you drop a new episode every single week as well? Every other week. Every, every other, other week. week. Mm -hmm. And they're long. They're so juicy and long because <laughs> you can sit and listen to them, um, you know, even on your long afternoon walk that we yeah. all do these days. We actually, it's funny, we went through a couple different lengths when we were talking about it because I was like, well, do we want to just have one person share each episode and just do like a 30 minute? Um, and I think our first recording, we were kind of like, okay, we're already on a roll. Let's just keep going. So we ended up deciding to do the full hour episodes. Um, and interestingly enough, I think in our second month, that was when we started getting like really comfortable and like kind of settled in. And Sarah texted me and was like, so this is how long you've been spending talking about your, <laughs> your side of the podcast. And it was like way too long. So we, we sort of had to kind of go back and forth in terms of cutting and being able to filter like how many photos we even showed on each episode and how many photos we talked about or how many costumes we talked about. Um, so that I think has actually been the more difficult part of our podcast is is learning to weed out what we can't talk about because we just don't have time, which is always <laughs> it's really the case. easy to get carried away. Oh my god! Absolutely, yeah. we Absolutely. get excited, like, you know. Especially with TV shows because you know yeah. every TV show is like hours or days, 
And like one hour episode can be, you know, multiple periods of time. And then you have thousands of costumes for every single period or every single day. Um, so we, we haven't covered as many TV shows, I think, for that reason. Um, but, you know, it's it's still on the horizon. It's still in our plans to do so. But it's it's definitely it hasn't happened as often with with TV shows as it has with movies mm-hmm. and and theater in particular. Yeah. Well, I'm a fan and I'm going to keep telling everybody to keep listening to the costume plot because it's amazing. And yeah, it's we've gotten a lot you... of listeners and a lot of new followers. So it's been really exciting. Yep. I will link everything in the show notes below so anybody can check it out when they would like to and their own convenience and their time to get some costume information. Yeah. Um, let's go into our first question, Tim. Great. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to ask you both this because um, it's something we hear a lot about from the onstage perspective and the creative perspective from the director, music director, and uh, choreographer, but we don't get to hear it much from the design perspective. So I want to ask you both, what is your, what are your thoughts about the current state of theater and its direction given everything we've been through over this past year and a half? Sarah, do you want to start first? Sure, Yeah. <laughs> The current state of theater is, um, it's hard to feel, it's been a, it's been a hard, um, year for all of us, obviously. Um, I personally, um, I just worked again for the first time in a year, so it's been tough. Um, my hope for the current state of theater is that, because I know a lot of people have moved on from theater and are getting second careers just because they have to, you know, like a livelihood, there's a lot of theater shutting down, which is heartbreaking. But I, my hope is that when we all eventually come back, the people who are left will be those who are super passionate and really want to be there and are excited to make the art again, you know? And I'm not saying that people who had to change careers were not excited to make their art, you know? But um, I hope that it kind of distills the message a little bit and we all really focus on like why we're there and what we want to do, what kind of message we want to communicate. Um, I feel that way about my own personal workplace, you know, like I think about sort of like workplace drama that I've gone through and I'm like, I, you know, that stuff doesn't matter. You know, like I need to focus on what I'm passionate about, which is making the art. So that's how I feel about the, about the current state of things, at least like as it relates to my life, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with Sarah. I think, um, especially that whole, whole idea about like wanting the workplace to be different. I think, taking this break this year has definitely caused a lot of self-reflection, not just from artists themselves, but also from art companies and and theater companies in general. Um, It's been interesting because I've been watching a lot of what's, I'm friends with a lot of people that were Ovation Award nominees. And (laughs) of course, I don't know if you guys have heard, but the whole situation that happened with Julie Lee, who's actually a (laughs) personal friend of mine, was just, you know, it was like devastating to me. And it it just goes to show how much our theater world needs to change. And, um, and it's been really exciting being kind of on the periphery of the conversations that have been happening about how we can make those changes. Um, I'm actually part of a design action coalition. I'm, I've mostly just been there to kind of listen, um, but it's headed by a lot of big Broadway costume designers as well as other design, um, rising designers, um, and not just costumes, it's, it's designers of all, uh, practices, but, um, but they've been talking a lot about that conversation of how do we promote diversity and inclusion and make that change happen 
from the top level down, you know, because we do have these big Broadway designers, um, Clint Ramos is in there, Paul Tazewell is in there. Um, there's a lot of big names that are really trying to push this forward and kind of get theater a little bit more, I mean, to acknowledge that that's what we need to do. So I'm really encouraged by that, even that we're having those conversations. Like, again, I think everyone involved is very aware that these are going to take many years to change. But even the fact that we're having these conversations right now, especially in this time when we really can't do anything else, and that mm. is the time to have those conversations and to start thinking about um, ways to start making those changes. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I mean, obviously, it's been really devastating not having work. Um, and I think me and Sarah are very similar, like we like to do and we need to be doing. And it's really hard not being able to do like, <laughs> interestingly enough, both of us are actually very introverted as well. <laughs> but it's like, finally, after all this time, we're like, okay, we really need to be back in this space just with our fellow artists and doing and creating. And um, I think that that's something, again, it's kind of like what she said, I think the artists that are so passionate in that is their life and breath. They're the ones that are, are you know, staying true to, to just doing theater and waiting for it to open back up. Um, I know there were a few times where I was kind of like, would I be happy trying to find something else? And I am very fortunate in that I have the option to kind of take a little bit of a breather right now until theater can come back in its full entirety. Um, but I think it's like what Sarah said, there's a lot of people out there who just don't even have that option. So yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely made me kind of rethink and reformat what I want to do with my creativity and what I really want to say, um, as an artist, uh, and as a creator and kind of what I want to contribute to theater and how I can contribute to theater once it does open back up again and how we can make those changes. Cause again, it's like Sarah said, this is the time to have those conversations. This is the time where we are trying to keep creating, um, even in the midst of the pandemic, even when things are broken down. Um, I actually was lucky enough that I had, I had two projects. One was at the end of last year in December, and I was working on some film stuff. And I've been trying to do a little bit more film stuff just to kind of keep, keep working. But even film stuff, it's, it's been very, very um, kind of sparse. Or scarce? Is that the right <laughs> scarce, word? Scarce, yeah. <laughs> I'll take spares. I like spares. <laughs> it's a combination of spare like and sparse with an accent. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, but yes, so even even film work has been really limited. Um, but yeah, so just just trying to keep working and keep creating. Um, I think that I guess those are my thoughts on on the current current space of theater. And I, th I think what both of you are speaking to really speaks to the universality of what every artist, uh, whether you are a designer, whether you are an actor, whether you are a director, we're all trying to figure out how we navigate the post, you know, 2020, early 2021 world and the mm -hmm. kind of artist we want to be. Mm -hmm. um, I know I've asked myself some serious questions and reflected on the kind of art I've created in the past and the kind of create art I want to create moving forward. So I think there's a there's a tremendous amount of inter intersectionality that exists between the design world and what happens backstage and offstage in terms of our mission. And that's really encouraging to hear that from a design perspective as well. Mm -hmm. So the next question I have for the two of you is, um, where do your passions lie uh, in, in regards to doing this work, this advocacy work, the social justice work? How does that fit into the fabric of design and, uh, and moving forward? 
Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> we, we drop bombs here on Breaking yeah. the Fourth Wall. <laughs> that's great. We do not um, mess around. We might as well just get right to it. I love it. Yes. The directness is great. As an East Coaster, it's like, I love it. Um, I guess I can start. I think this is something I've been thinking a lot about, um, and not just in pandemic, but pandemic has certainly kind of stirred the pot and made the thinking process go a little faster. But um, I've been talking a lot since I graduated actually about starting or wanting to start a theater company that represents more AAPI in particular, um, and specifically from the design aspect. I mean, you see a lot of theater companies that are started by directors, started by actors, uh, which is not a bad thing. I think I, I love that there are so many small theater companies that can be formed, especially in California. Um, but again, it's it's something that I don't think you see a lot from a designer perspective. And so that's something that I've been really passionate about. Um, of course, it's easy to get discouraged because I have no experience as an administrator and just trying to figure out how to even get started or what to even start with or do I even go into producing? You know, like, what does all of that really mean? And I think that's been something I've been kind of ruminating on a lot this um, this pandemic. Um, so for me, that's something I'm really passionate about. I've been, I've spent this last, uh, well, the pandemic, but also prior to that, I've spent a lot of time just talking with other directors of small theater ensembles. Um, Sarah Guerrero is one of a, one of my really good friends, and she runs um, the Breath of Fire Latino Theater Ensemble. And she's someone I talk with pretty regularly about, like, how do I even start this? Because I know she's gone through a lot of that process. Um, I actually just recently met up with Elisa Bocanegra as well. Uh, and she, again, just a phenomenal um, woman leader and theater artist uh, who started Hero Theater Company up in L.A. And, you know, it's a long process. And most of them are like, you know, prepare for like a five-year, you know, theater plan um, but it's really exciting, again, because we are in this time of really being able to hone in on what we want theater to be. And like, what better way to do that than to start your own version of what that could be? And also just to give more designers work. Um, you know, like I'm not looking to do fully produced shows. I, we don't have the money to do that right now. <laughs> but it's, you know, as an artist being able to know I can support other artists. And, you know, it's very similar to how I started this podcast with Sarah, too, is like finding other ways to support my fellow artists and my fellow creators in in ways that that are still very small ideas right now, but, you know, hopefully turning into something bigger in the future. I think many of us always start off with that idea of, oh, I want to create this thing, but you know, am I going to, am I going to know how to do it or am I going to fail? Yeah. Or, and I love that you're just, you're going to, you know, we start a podcast, you know, you start a company. Yeah. Why, what makes you any different than the other director down the street? You know, there's, there's nothing <laughs> different. And so I think if we just keep telling ourselves, okay, I'm going to reach out to the folks that can help us, then, yeah. you know, it will, it will happen. It will, it will absolutely happen. Yeah. Well, definitely putting it out there. <laughs> yeah. Putting it out there is the, I feel like the biggest thing as well. And yeah. even just being able to say, hey, I'm doing this thing. Um, anyone want to come on board? Anyone want to join me? Yeah. Come on yeah. board. <laughs> yeah. It's been really exciting. Well, you said, where do your passions lie? And mine are like, I have never loved anything as much as I love my job, which is, you know, making costumes, um, making clothes. I love, I love creating um, theater magic through wardrobe and, and costumes. And I even, even if they're not my designs, I love making other people's designs come to life. You know, it's, um, 
it's my favorite thing. So that's where my passion is. And I, I, I've had conversations with people who are like, why don't you try film or TV? And, um, my answer is always that theater is, uh, the most collaborative art form that I've ever, you know, come across. I, I am honored, you know, to work with other artists and to share the space and bounce ideas and I get inspiration. And so that's where my passion lies for sure. And going forward, um, to make that, to make the theater space like more open and welcoming for myself and for others like me, I want to work on being like an advocate, um, especially as it comes to like dealing with, you know, like the management of the companies that I work with when I have to deal with bosses and stuff who are, we deal with a lot of toxicity and I want to learn how to stand up for myself and stand up for my coworkers, especially, and have open conversations instead of just, um, doing what we always do, which is say, well, this is how it's done. And we just kind of have to shut up and get on oh, with yeah. it. You know, <laughs> I've, I've heard that a lot. Um, and I'm sure you all have. <laughs> I hate that phrase. This is yes. how it's always been done. And they're just doing their job. And I'm like, no, that's, this is why we're talking with you right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that uh, that's kind Sarah's of Sarah's like, a great advocate. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I I have a a lifelong problem with abuse of authority, so um that kind of translates into me really trying to fight for myself and it's having a year away and sort of um soul searching and figuring out what I want to like if I want to stay in theater and what I want to get out of it when I come back. I think that that's one of the things I really want to focus on. It's kind of lit a fire under me to really being an, an to really be an advocate for myself and for other people. Absolutely. And I think I think everyone can agree those are some powerful words and some really 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 important words because we all feel the same exact way. Um and what you just talked about Sarah lead, kind of leads us into the next question. Uh another bomb I'm going to drop here. Um <laughs> and again we can open this up to theater in general, uh, the industry in general, uh, or design specifically. What needs to change? <laughs> there it is. So what needs I mean, to change so about much. our industry for us to be a more collaborative, more holistic, uh, more equitable environment? You know, it's it, this is a difficult question because I think people think like, oh, theater, they, they are collaborative. They they're always, you know, they talk with other designers, they talk with other producers. And it's like, yes, that may be true. But all of us come in with so many different presuppositions or prejudices or, or anything that we come into the theater with, because we spend so much time together, it comes out much more, um, much more naturally, I think, than in a lot of other fields or industries. And it doesn't mean it doesn't come up in other industries. But I think we are in such close quarters all the time for such long extended periods of time that I think we get to know those weaknesses and, and strengths very quickly. And I think that is a strength of theater, but it is also one of the things that I think makes it really difficult um, if people are not being truly honest in a collaborative environment to be able to make those changes. Cause you know, we all have, I think because theater is such a subjective field, it's easy for ego to get in the way of mm -hmm. the, the creation and the art and I think that is a lot of what tends to get in our own way of, of being able to create art in a safe space yeah. um, is, is typically when ego comes into it and that becomes more important 
than the voices that are being heard or the voices that are being represented. Um, and this that is, is that is so well said. I just wanted oh. to. <laughs> That is Thank so you. well said. And we don't – we all kind of think those things, but we never say them out loud. And yeah. I think it's just very well said. It does. We all get caught up in that ego part of it at times. And if we can be honest in the room and have conversations, you know, like we're having now. We're all having an all our podcast yeah. too, right? Yeah. That, that it might help. Yeah. And I think um, part of that does require each member to be – to have a certain level of humility. And that is not easy in theater. Um, it's easy to get tied to your work and want so much for your work and your vision to be represented on stage. And part of collaboration means that there sometimes are – we have to give up that idea or that vision uh, or or find some way to compromise it in a certain way. And you know, that's the beauty of our art, but also sometimes the the hard part about, I think, being in a collaborative environment. Um, and I think, you know, again, it's like what, what Sarah keeps saying, like, if we're not advocating for each other, rather than spending so much time trying to put each other down, or put down the people that we think are against us, like, granted, we've all experienced that we've all experienced that person that just doesn't like you and just will not give you a break. And like, sometimes there's really nothing you can do about that. But um, you know, I think one thing that Sarah and I talk a lot about is is wanting not to become that person and being very aware and very self-aware. I think that's a big part of it is being self-aware of what you can contribute to the theater. And in order to make those changes, sometimes you do have to step down and say, it's not about me. Mm -hmm. It's about this process. It's about the final result. It's about how together as a team, we can make this a better art because we are nothing without each other. And that's any theater model or entertainment model. Um, I, feel, so, yeah. I feel like that's I feel like that's so easily lost when you get into the collaborative art of working with a design team. And Jojo, you and I have been very fortunate to work on some exciting yeah. theater together. And I have always been so so blown away away by when I present a concept to you, as as crazy as some of my concepts may come across, <laughs> you'll come back and you'll be like, "Here, here's my ideas." And then I see these beautiful <laughs> renderings and these sketches, and and I you always go above and beyond anything I've ever expected or anticipated. And to me, that is where the art kind of takes its own life now. It no, it, it's almost mm -hmm. like it's no longer ours. It's now something bigger than us. Yes, very yes. much so. Yeah, and Sarah, what? A, yeah, and Sarah, what about for you? Um, I think that I re would really like to see more um, fostering of young designers um, at at theater companies. I would like to see nurturing of young talent more than I have been seeing because. I myself, the work that I can get right now is mostly as a cutter draper or a seamstress. And I love doing that, but I would also love to get more design work. And it's like almost impossible to get your foot in the door of any place that will pay you what you're really worth, you know? Um, so there are so many like older established designers who get all the jobs and good for them. But like, also we need, we need to get some fresh blood in here. And I know a lot of other young designers who have gotten really discouraged and have given up on trying to find design work because it's just like so hard to find anyone who will pay us. So that's something I would love to see change. Or yeah. even trust you. I think that's the <laughs> other thing too. Like I, I see so many, um, well, and I, I've heard of even bigger theater companies who continue to pay so little, because they know they have a big enough name that any designer will be desperate enough to work for them just for the name. And I'm like, that's no longer acceptable. Like we're moving away from that. I mean, even interns now, like you'll see all over boards, especially from costume designers and educators where it's like, 
I'm not sending you my students if you are not offering them some mm-hmm. kind of a stipend or some mm-hmm. kind of a pay because just offering them internship experience is no longer the norm. Like we can't do that anymore. It's not just free labor, slave labor. You have to pay them what they've been trained in school to be doing in the work field. You are expecting them to do professional level work. You should be paying them for that work. And I think that that's something that is still in the very slow cog movements of, of early stages. But um, I think it's like what Sarah said, we, there's just not enough bigger theaters that are giving young designers opportunities. Um, and maybe that's me speaking from us where we aren't, we haven't been able to get our foot in those doors, but it is very frustrating when you're on the other end of that and you're, you're seeing all these other designers who maybe are less experienced or don't have the same level of um, confidence or even skill level. And not to say they don't deserve jobs, but it is sort of one of those things where giving other people those opportunities, I think is just as important. I think it's a balance, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. it, it's looking at and saying, you know, we are nurturing the future of designers, the future designers by creating these doors and opening these doors for them and letting them work through their the training they've received for the past however long and actually applying yeah. it. Because oftentimes there are a lot of colleges out there where they don't actually get to physically design a show in four years of training, maybe one show, but they never mm-hmm. actually get to conceptualize it from start to end. And it's got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's true. So our last question uh, for both of you is, do you have any projects that are coming up on the horizon, uh, either virtually or face-to-face? I guess, you know, we have news that we're slowly starting, at least in California, we're slowly starting to trickle towards some kind of an opening. Yeah. Well, uh, my future is kind of uncertain right now. Um, I just uh, finished working on a Theater for Young Audiences show at South Coast Repertory that is being filmed and... um, it's Red Riding Hood. People can buy tickets to the the video it's, and they're sending it to schools and stuff. So that was really cute, really fun. It was really nice to just get back and see people again, you know, <laughs> in the same room as other yeah. humans working on things. <laughs> um, and so you mentioned the, we mentioned the Her Universe show in my bio and I applied. They're holding it virtually this year. So I don't know if I've gotten in yet. Uh, so TBD, if I will be building something for that it's a geek couture runway show so it's basically That's fashion awesome. <laughs> it's fashion inspired by some really cool stuff on there thank you yeah um <laughs> it's i have um the show has really uh helps my self-confidence in a way that like i cannot even begin to tell you I have friends who competed in it and that's kind of like what made and i have a friend who actually won and so i was like you know what that sounds cool like and i entered because it like I said, I haven't been getting a lot of design work for the past few years. And for a while, I was starting to feel like, am I even a good designer at all? You know, like, mm-hmm. can I get design work? Do I deserve design work? And so entering and getting in and getting to see, to, to like conceptualize something and then make it and then see it on a runway in front of like a packed ballroom of people and then oh. get all this feedback about it, like, has done the a world of good for me, for my self-confidence. So I know that they'll probably get a lot of applications this year. So I'm just crossing my fingers that I get to do it again. And it's going to be a whole new challenge because like it's going to be on video. So I don't even know what that's going to be. Like, I don't know what the rules are. I don't know what I have to do, but I'm, I'm but you'll in do for it. it if they take me. Yeah. So that's Isn't what I'm amazing, Sarah. Isn't it amazing, Sarah, how just one little spark like that can just kind of open up the floodgates of creativity and yes. your passion for what, for doing what you were doing in the past. And I've met so many cool people, so many friends now. I have friends across the country now who I've met through competing in it who, like, 
are just such a, it's such a supportive network of people and it's all, you know, shine theory, you shine, I shine. It's all about lifting each other up and I would not keep doing it if the environment wasn't so positive and um, uplifting and supportive. Oh, that's wonderful. We're going to keep our fingers crossed for you Thank and you. please let us know uh, if, if you end up going on. Oh yeah, I'll post all about it. It'll be all over my social media. <laughs> wonderful. What about for you, Jojo? Um, I just finished a recent project actually with Chapman. They did, um, they are also doing a, they're doing some live stuff. Like it's, it's been very strange. Chapman is actually one of the few schools in the area that has continued to remain open and done like full productions, uh, full, full productions. Um, the, the show that I worked on was actually a devised piece called Home Unchained. Um, and it's really, really, it's a really beautiful piece. It's directed by uh, Tamiko Washington, who's one of the professors over at Chapman. But she and I have worked together for a while. She actually um, runs a new play festival every summer. So I've been working with her for at least five years now. Um, if pandemic hadn't hit, it would have been number six. <laughs> but um, but she's just, a, again, another really, really great collaborator. Also a, a woman director of color, which I, I just, again, anytime I can support that, like, by all means. Um, yes. This particular production was mostly Zoom. It was all done in the students' homes, but each of them wrote a piece about what home means mm. to them, um, especially in pandemic. So some of the pieces were really um, just really, really in-depth kind of struggles that you kind of opened up and saw the students really develop um, what they came with. Um, a lot of what Tamiko was talking about was um, how does home affect everything that we do. So even if we are not physically in the home, how does how we were brought up or how we grew up, how does that affect the way we interact and communicate with people now? Uh, and uh, and how does that kind of associate, you know, and how we collaborate and all of that. So it's a really, really beautiful piece. It's being edited at the moment. So I believe they will be officially releasing like end of April, early May is when they're supposed to be releasing the video. Um, interestingly, one of the probably most streamlined processes I've ever done in terms of like a Zoom, because we did actually have fittings in person. So that oh, was wow. interesting. Um, and then everything was filmed. So we sent everything home. So in terms of like tech, that was a little different because literally they would have things that didn't work quite so well. And I'd be like, well, there's nothing I can do. You're behind a screen and I'm not with you. So <laughs> sorry, make it work. Um, so that was a different experience. Um, and then I, I've got a couple upcoming projects that are mostly kind of personal projects. Some of it is just doing research for the theater company that I want to start. I, I'm interested in looking into doing some readings just to kind of get started for now, just because, again, I don't have the money to necessarily produce a full show, but sort of experimenting with reading different scripts that represent um, specifically Asian voices. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I'm really interested in um, and how to kind of represent and also bring in other artists that I'm still kind of getting to know and meet. But yes, so so kind of that's still on the horizon. And then uh, I've been in talks with a producer friend of mine who actually I did the previous project in December with as well. Um, and she's, we're talking about doing another project in, hopefully in July is when we're thinking about it. So there may be another film project that I'll be working on. Um, 
but yeah, right now it's it's a lot of just keep looking for work. Um, I was doing something with Sarah, this Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> we were putting together some couture stuff because uh, I had a good friend of mine through the mask making group that I was a part of uh, back when quarantine hit. Uh, we're called the Anti Sewing Squad, so I'm still part of it. I haven't I love been doing as much. Yeah, it's great. Um, <laughs> the funny thing is, it's the acronym is literally just ass. So, um, <laughs> so yes, that's our that's our uh, little mass making name. But it's been a really great community that's kind of kept in touch. It is a lot of theater artists, but not all of them are necessarily doing theater specifically. Mm-hmm. They're all kind of involved in some way. It was started by a performance artist who does a lot of theater up in LA. Um, but uh, I forget what my original point was. We were going to do a <laughs> couture photo shoot, but yes, we were gonna I do might a not have time. <laughs> she won't have time, but we had started putting together some uh, patterns to build some couture wear because one of the ladies from the group uh, is, a, is a great photographer and she does a lot of really fine arts photography. So she asked to do a collaboration with me. So that's kind of still up in the works, sort of TBD uh, in terms of when we'll actually have it happen. But just trying to figure out a lot of content right now. I think I've been, I got a big vintage donation of um, Chinese, like uh, kind of 1960s mod vintage wear. So I was like, I really want to do like a photo shoot at like an abandoned theater somewhere. So. So yes, all these different projects in my head that I've just been kind of putting together and just, they're all in idea phase right now, but a lot of like personal creative projects that I think are just, again, keeping me going because I just need to do, do, do. So, um, so yes, those are all the things that I think I'm working on right now. I think that's all of us. We're, we're all trying to kind of just keep our creative juices going in the absence of being inside of a costume shop or being inside of a theater, you know, working with actors. Absolutely. Um, Tim, you want to wrap us back around to that puzzler? Yeah, yeah. So yes, uh, we're our, waiting to know who was. I know, it? huh? Um, so the so the puzzler was who was the first person ever to win a Tony Award for costume design, and the answer is Lucinda Bollard. So Let me tell you a little bit about Lucinda Bollard, if you didn't know. Uh, she was the first person in 1947, and it wasn't actually for one specific show. It was um, done as an acknowledgement for her contributions to the following shows all done in the same season, uh, not done in the same season, cumulatively over the course of a couple seasons. Uh, she worked on a play called Another Part of the Forest, uh, the musical street scene, and the Chocolate Soldier, among others. Her second Tony was in 1961 for a musical called The Gay Life. Additional theater credits include the original companies of Annie Get Your Gun, Allegro, A Streetcar Named Desire, uh, and uh, The Four Poster, Carnival, and the sound of music. So she is uh, quite a prolific costume designer and has uh, been a trailblazer. So I wanted to celebrate her and uh, just give her a moment of uh, spot in the sun. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> we learn something new every week here on this podcast. It's true. <laughs> it sounded like she had a really long career and I'm surprised I've never heard of her. Now I feel like I need to learn more about her. Yeah. She was also a scenic designer as well. Cool. So she was kind of, of a renaissance person <laughs> in terms of design, did it all. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So Don't yeah, and again, we try yeah. to bring light to people who don't necessarily have the opportunity or have not been talked about. And, you know, it's something that I'm really mm-hmm. passionate about is bringing up voices that have been misrepresented or underrepresented in the past. So yeah, listen to Bollard, wherever you are, we celebrate you and we honor you. <laughs> 
We've been in conversation with the amazing Jojo Siu and Sarah Tim uh, over the past uh, 40 minutes. And uh, I'm just thankful to both of you to, to uh, occupy this space with you and to have the opportunity to learn more about you and your work. Thank you so much for today. It's been an honor. Thank you so much. Thank this was such a it. wonderful conversation. Yeah. I love that we can Great do these questions. things over the, over the virtual sphere here. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much.